everyone. Welcome to Stem From's podcast, Where Does Your Journey Stem From? Hosted by myself, Dr. Karina Minardi. On today, today's episode, we are joined by Joshua, who is currently studying at University of Texas Southwestern. Let's welcome to the stage, Joshua. Hi, everybody. Joshua is originally from Memphis, Tennessee, and has a Bachelor of Science in Biochemistry and minor concentrations in Biology and Leadership Studies from Baylor University. He matriculated, matriculated to UT Southwestern Medical Center in Dallas, Texas in 2020. He joined the Seagort Lab in 2021 and is working on the development of three-component lipid nanoparticles, or LNPs, as gene carriers. As seen with the COVID-19 vaccines, delivery of genetic material, in this case, mRNA, has been very helpful and successful. He aims to potentially develop more efficient LNPs for mRNA delivery. Outside of the lab, he's a big sports fan, both watching and playing. He also enjoys superhero movies and food. So with that, welcome, Joshua. We are so thrilled to have you on the podcast. And a first question that we always like to start from is tell us a little bit about yourself um, and your background. Yes, thank you for the introduction. I really appreciate it. So starting with me, I'm originally from Memphis, Tennessee, as you said. Um, background's pretty interesting. So my mom is an accountant and my dad is ex-military and ex-police. So me getting into science was more, um, they kind of figured out as I was a little kid, I think I was about, what, two years old or five years old. And to figure out where the voices were coming from, from the uh, radio, I took it apart. So from then on, my parents were like, you're doing something science related. Uh, went through school. I was fine in math, didn't necessarily like, like it all the time. But I really enjoyed during chemistry. And I think about eighth grade, I had this teacher, Mr. Morgan. Uh, he really got me into chemistry. So Normally, you have a class for science. You'll kind of learn about a certain subject like acids and bases, for instance. And then from there, you just kind of do a lab that's kind of prescribed and given to you. Mr. Morgan did not run a class like that. He would teach us the lessons of acids and bases, and then he would just kind of be like, go make a lab, go run through hypotheses, and um, give me some experiments to go do. And that is how we did uh, science all of eighth grade year. I uh, really got to enjoy science because I kind of got to make it as I wanted to. So that was really fun there. Um, went on, went to high school. That's not really solidified like science, chemistry, biology more so than medical things because I took chemistry three t- different classes of chemistry in high school instead of taking um, A&P. So that wasn't really my thing. I really liked chemistry. Got to Baylor. And that was a really, really fun experience for me. So as a freshman, I came in as a biochem major, just taking normal classes and things like that. Sophomore year, same thing. But my junior year, um, I found out and heard about this program called the Ronald Ronald E. McNair Scholars Program. And it was a trio program created to help uh, minorities and underrepresented students um, go do a Ph.D. and go to grad school. Uh, really blessed I was able to actually be in the first cohort um, from Baylor for that program. And from there, that's kind of where my network just kind of spread out. I got to go to this conference called Abercams. This was, I think, 2018. It was in Indiana. And I met all of these directors from all these schools, including UC Southwestern as well. 
And from there, I got kind of just kept, kept in contact with them um, and came in handy as I was applying for grad schools. I got to do lots of different trips. Uh, and at the end, it came down to uh, two schools, Vanderbilt, as I'm from Tennessee, and uh, UT Southwestern. For me, I kind of found there were more professors um, here at UT Southwestern we do work with. So it's uh, kind of why I ended up choosing, and uh, I enjoy it. It's been really fun. That's awesome. And such a, I think, such a journey, and it particularly speaks to how people have impacted you along the way. Um, your your bio, however, lends itself to say that you're also an avid sports fan, and and both you know watching as well as playing. And so, does that have any sort of contribution to your sort of drive or your competitive spirit? Oh, that that's. Yeah, definitely contribute. So I have been playing sports since about three years old. I come from more of a basketball family. My dad coached basketball, played. I played a little bit as well. But um, the drive for me from sports is kind of more so like determination, doing what it takes to not always – you're not going to win every game, and that's okay, but it's to give your best effort. And it actually translated not directly to science, but in between that was music. So actually – I played the French horn for about nine years from middle school through freshman year of college. And um, that's really where I kind of try to figure out how to hone in on one thing and get really good at it. Uh, over the course of those nine years, I made our regional band, I think seven times, made all state two or three times as well. And it really just kind of pushed that drive to like do the best that you can. You're not always going to win. You're not always going to get first chair, but the goal, that is the goal to get first chair. Um, and from there, high school, I got to run track and cross country as well. That was added on later when my coach said, we need to get your miles up. That was, I, I, I learned to enjoy to like it. But um, one thing my coach really said, we had this model called ETS or embrace the suck. And there were days we had really uh, challenging workouts. And he was like, you're going to do it. Might as well just get over it and get it done. So that's kind of. I kind of still bring that's when I do science now. It's not always going to be easy, but you signed up for this and uh, you're going to do it. And then with music and sports as well, you're going to do the best of your ability. And uh, yeah, big sports guy. I really like basketball. Track and field is number two. But uh, yeah. That's awesome. I think uh, some of us also term ETS as resiliency, but yes. <laughs> um no, but I, I really also like that you mentioned music because I think that there is a there's a creativity, I think, that lends itself to music, right? Um, yes. And how does that play with your, your sort of drive for STEM? So as far as creativity, um, when I played French horn, that was mainly concert band, so it was kind of music given to us. But also I had the opportunity to do commercial band where I actually picked up trombone and as far as creativity goes, that's when there's not many, many rules. I remember I did, we did one recording session where I literally made something up and it ended up being what we played at every concert. Uh, so as far as that goes, going to my science, it really just kind of helps me think outside the box. Um, sometimes like I'm, I'm a chemist, mainly trained as a chemist. So with that, I, I might go in our drawer. I might look at a structure and I'm like, it looked like it might work, and I just go try it. And I'm really uh, thankful about my uh, 
PI, Dr. Seeger, he lets us do that. He's one of those kind of people, if you think he can be made, put it on your order sheet and try it and to see what happens. So uh, yeah, that's something I definitely carry over. That's wonderful. And that is, I mean, for, for I am also a chemist by training. And, you know, when I think about um, problem solving skills or, um, you know, how to approach problems, thinking outside of the box and using sort of resourcefulness is, I think, a key, key skill that has at least I've been taught. Um, so I was wondering if I shared that with you. Um, so that's awesome. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your goals and aspirations from you as a person? Um, and then maybe how, how STEM has aligned to those? So I would say kind of overarching goals for me is that um, I like helping people. That's generic, of course. But for me, it's more so making an impact, a positive impact on people. Um, so that might be helping someone write up an application for an NSF or something like that, just kind of taking the time out of the day to help them make that better. Because when they make that better, they maybe to go help someone else. So that's that's really a big goal for me is what I do is try to make a positive impact. And as far as STEM, man, that's given me so much opportunity. For instance, doing NSF reviews, you don't really do NSFs in any other field except STEM. So that's kind of one thing that's specific to that. And then also I've had opportunities in college and also now Southwestern to go to elementary schools, um, even high schools and kind of put on chemistry magic shows. Um, so that's getting like younger uh, children actually more and so into STEM as well. And saying, like, oh man, we can make all these cool things. So for the high schoolers, they're not, they're not as enthused by that. So for them, it's really more serious. I get to talk with them and be like, um, like, do you want to go to college? What do you want to do in college? How do you get to that step? And it's still, you know, the same major goal is uh, making a positive impact on people. As far as the work that I do, um, I mean, as we've seen with our COVID-19 vaccines, mRNA delivery with LMPs can make a very positive impact. Um, and the work that I do is try to make more efficient LMPs. So in that regard, um, who knows how big an impact that can make. I hope it makes a great one. Even if it's just a small step towards making more efficient LMPs, that's kind of the goal there. But uh, yeah. So for our listeners that may not necessarily know, Josh um, is also a National Science Foundation graduate research fellow. Um, so the National Science Foundation NSF is what he was referencing earlier. And it's just such a, a treat to have a fellow on, on our podcast as well. So we talked a little bit about goals and aspirations and drive. Um, let act, let's actually talk a little bit about career goals now and aspirations for yourself, maybe even postgraduate school. You know, what do you what do you want to be when you grow up, Josh? So when I was younger, the answer to that question was a scientist, which is kind of cool because that's what I'm doing right now. Um, as far as career aspirations, um, one thing I really like doing is communicating with others. I also like presenting uh, not just data, but presenting information. And with that in mind, uh, one kind of main goal I'm looking at right now for a career is uh, doing consulting, more so in the biotech or the science region or realm. But uh, that's something I'm really interested there. Um, I have friends that do consulting in other fields like cybersecurity, but I found out that there's this aspect that actually has science in it. I was like, oh, that's really cool. I'll get to learn, excuse me, new science, take my own science, some expertise that I learned along the way, and help companies become better 
make better impacts on them. So that's been really cool there. Uh, but yeah, I really like that uh, communication aspect of that. That's something I like to do. I like to just meet new people, talk with them. I'll go in our student lounge, see our first years, just kind of, oh, hi, I'm Josh. What's your name kind of deal? So like, yeah, I enjoy it. <laughs> no, that's great. Um, I think good communicating is such a good skill to have, even when you're communicating complex, you know, LNPs and um, pathways such as those all the way down to, you know, in interacting with, um, you know, educational endeavors with the, the students that you were speaking to. So that's um, um, fabulous. Do you think, um, do you think your route to consulting may change or your career aspirations may change? So it definitely could. I honestly, I remember coming into grad school thinking I want to do patent law. So that's more law school. Uh, I think for me, end goal of being able to do a lot of communication that's kind of what i'm really striving for if there are other avenues or careers that allow for me to be able to do that something i'm definitely interested in doing but at the current moment um it's kind of what i've been exposed to consulting is probably number one but um i know like a, a science liaison science communicators those are things that also seem kind of interesting to me as well but uh yeah i guess we will see Hopefully in the near future, actually. Oh yes. Now you're you're gonna graduate what like next week, right? No. <laughs> maybe like, I'm thinking maybe hopefully in a year or so. Oh, that's good. Okay. Well, thinking about careers is is perfect then, uh, uh, time wise for right now. So we've talked a little bit about you as a person. We've talked a little bit about you um, and your career aspirations and your goals, not only for yourself but your career. Um, you're in the belly of the beast right now, you know, doing your research. So let's actually focus uh, a little bit of time on that. So can you give us an overview of, you know, your research? I know we talked a little bit about LMPs, um, but if you could just say, you know, kind of the Uber goal and Uber mission for the research, that would be great. Sure. Yeah, no problem. So what I am currently working on is the field of LMPs as a whole, more specifically, um, as I come from a background of organic synthesis, um, I really incorporate a lot of chemistry in my work. And my work is kind of on the interface of chemistry, bioengineering, and uh, biology and biochemistry. So what I'm trying to do, so for the COVID-19 vaccines, those LNPs are made out of four different components. What I am actually trying to do are make LNPs to deliver mRNA or other genetic cargo with only three components. And with one of those components, we actually combine two different things into one. And what I've been working on the last two or so, two or three years, is actually just doing synthesis to make new compounds that combine two different aspects into one, incorporating them into three component LMPs and testing them in vitro and in vivo. So for some of our audience members, what is an LNP and why do you need them in order for to have vaccine delivery? Why can't you just inject a person with mRNA? Great question. So uh, LNPs are lipid nanoparticles, and typically they are composed of four different components. You have a polyethylene glycol lipid that's normally on the outside of it. That really just helps with it actually circulating in the blood and staying inside the blood. You have cholesterol which cholesterol is found in our bodies right now, is really kind of more of a buffer lipid. You are going to have normally an ionic lipid, 
And this is really important because that is actually what's making the key interactions with mRNA of your genetic material and a helper lipid. We call them helper lipids. And they really just help with, again, just kind of keeping everything formulated. So the reason why you would need a delivery system of sorts. So free mRNA um, and it's actually really prone to being hydrolyzed and kind of cut up in the body. Your body has natural defenses against foreign mRNA to get rid of it. And with that being said, because your body is prone to kind of just cut up foreign DNA, inject normal mRNA, it actually it wouldn't be able to actually do its job. So with lipid nanoparticles, what it's able to do is able to encapsulate that mRNA and to help it get to its target um, organ or um, target cell population and to do its job. So that can be many things for in the case of COVID-19 vaccines, it was making that spike protein. So making proteins, um, they can also be used for doing gene editing. Our lab has done that as well. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of just just kind of the tip of the iceberg of what it could be used for. No, that's great. Um, and I think for our, our listeners, you know, it's October 16th and two weeks ago, the Nobel Prizes were just awarded and one of the the medicine uh, awards was actually given to the founders of um, the, the COVID vaccine um, uh, individuals from Penn. So um, this is perfect that we're, we're having you on the podcast. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your current research. And I know you spoke obviously about, I think decreasing from four to, to three components for the LMPs. So what, what are your current sort of, what's, what's happening in the lab right now? Yeah, so I'm actually getting ready to go to a conference internationally next week. So that's gonna be really fun. But based on what I'm gonna be presenting there, um, what I've been able to do in lab is that I have synthesized about four different um, compounds. So we had our first initial three component LMP came from our lab in around 2012 or 13. Um, it had this structure called ZA3 EP10. And that was kind of the main um, structure that combined two things into one. So what my project's actually been looking at is that I went back, found those manuscripts, found all those old notebooks, remade ZA3 EP10, and I've been making derivatives or just slightly different um, structures of ZA3 EP10. And so far I've made about four of them and what's been really cool, so I've been able to make them, test them in vitro, and we have animal studies, which is, I can get that, all that in about two days, which is really cool. And it looks like we have one derivative that actually works better than the parent that was published 13 years ago. So that's been really cool, because uh, it's pretty novel in that regard. It hasn't really been published on it at all. I don't think it actually been published on it at all, because I think our lab, that's our comp, that's our actual structure. So that's been really cool been able to see a new compound that works better than something that was made that kind of started the lab up. Um, so that's been really cool there. And even more so is that it's really pushed us to kind of look at, okay, if we change this one aspect of this molecule, what more can we do? Can we kind of the goal is like, can we make them better? So I've been more recently just trying to make a whole bunch of other different um, uh, structures and change that one little part and see, can we make them better? So that's been really fun there. Lots of time wearing my two different lab coats. So I have a flame retardant one for my chemistry hood, and I have a white one working at my bench. So I've been able to kind of switch off both of those. So that's been fun. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I'm actually giving a talk on Wednesday. Um, does every scientist uh, wear a lab coat? And I should probably yes. say pluralize it. <laughs> for safety, of course, always. 
and goggles. Um, so, so let's talk a little bit about the in vitro analysis. Um, you know, what is the model by which you're working? And then how do you actually, when you say this other derivative is actually more effective, how do you um, test or um, provide metrics behind the um, efficacy? So our lab's actually been in this field, kind of regional forefront for a while. And what's really cool about that is that we have experts in many different types of science. So in, in the case of my in vitro work, for instance, I actually really don't have to do cell culture work. We actually have a staff scientist that uh, that does that for me. But what, um, she uses something that's um, fairly well published. But we use iGrov one cells, um, and they're really they're really hard to transvect. And the reason why we use those is that essentially, if our if my LNPs can transvect those cells, that just means it's that much better because they're normally hard to be done. And um, it's actually a really quick assay. I'm going to redo another one tomorrow. I make my LMPs in the morning. I give them to our staff scientists and she plates them on sales, waits 24 hours. And we um, add this reagent that um, gives off luminescence if it's active. So if it's, if the LMP formulation I made is working, you honestly just see a higher number on our plate reader. I'm pretty straightforward there. And also we look at that for toxicity to date, everything I have made has been fairly safe for all of the sales. So that's been great. <laughs> Haven't had any issues there or the mice either. So that's been really nice there. So that's kind of how we do our in vitro studies. Um, in vivo wise, we normally just use mice, um, normal um, CBL black six mice, um, easy to find. And we um, inject luciferin, oluciferase, and it's going to get luciferin. And what we do is we um, have the mRNA that encodes for that protein, which is luciferin, and we encapsulate that into our LNPs, and we inject them in mice, and we go back and look at them anywhere from 6 to 24 hours, depending on what kind of study you're trying to do. And we have this instrument called a AMI, or um, another brand is called an IVIS, and you literally um, put the mice inside this instrument, and it will give off fluorescence. And why I say like the one of the compounds I made works better, essentially it's just brighter. It's more red. That's literally, it's, it's a really straightforward um, assay. It, it's more red. And while we'll say the um, instrument does give you actual numbers too, it's not just more red, it gives you numbers. But um, yeah, that's uh, normally how we do that. So you actually fluoresce the mice. Okay, that's interesting. Um, that's really cool. So what is um, what is the direction? What are next steps that you're you're researching right now? So um, as a chemist, we're always making compounds. So that's kind of one step. I'm just making new compounds and testing them. But um, even with that, as we are kind of just kind of seeing some trends based on how the structures look, we are looking to kind of maybe change some or um, adjust some of the components of those three component LNPs and just change different um, aspects of them and see what happens. And from there, we're kind of just really just trying to form a story of if you change this, this happens. And if you're trying to make it better, you you should maybe do this and get a better result. And then ideally, would your lab potentially patent these results? Um, or what would be, I mean, just from a curiosity standpoint, you know, what is what is the next step? I mean, obviously publication, but mm -hmm. then what clinical research? Yes, great question. So our lab actually has a number of patents at the moment. And it would be really cool if I could get on a patent. That would be awesome. But um, yeah, so after publishing and everything, 
we will probably look towards clinical um, application and trying to see what these look like, um, hopefully one day in people. Well, that makes sense. Are these a curiosity statement? Could they be used in alternative mammalian um, vaccine deliveries as well, not just people? Oh, yes. In theory, that we would actually have to have that happen. Normally, how testing goes, it would go to um, different mammals like um, non human primates and things like that. So, this is something that could be a platform across multiple species. And it's agnostic of the, the mRNA type that you are injecting, right? It would be, yes. okay. Yes, essentially Thanks. any mRNA you will want to use, in theory, it should be able to deliver it. So for many different things. That's fabulous. So given all of this and given the landscape, what keeps you up at night with your research? It's a great question. Um, I guess one thing is like, it's always that, am I making enough progress. That's one of those things. And then another one is like, are my results real? I tried them many, many, many times, get the same results, but in the back of my head, I'm like, is it real? And kind of deal. I guess I don't really know until I actually try to publish it and it gets accepted. And I'm like, okay, it is real. But that's kind of one of those things. I always say it keeps me up at night always, but I definitely think about it and definitely like, uh, or no, another building is like, can it be better? Like how much better can it be? That's always one of those. It's like, oh, I made this compound. It works better. Can I make something else better? But yeah. And here I thought you were going to say something about the flammable uh, white coat, but you didn't. So this is great. I mean, I like a little danger every now and then. Not going to lie. Keeps me on my toes. Keep me aware. So I kind of like that part of the job. Not too dangerous. There are definitely way more dangerous chemicals. I know some of my friends in other labs use, but keeps you on your toes a little bit, you know. So it's nice. Oh, I do know. I do know. <laughs> um, so, okay. So we've talked a little bit about challenges, but let's talk about some things that would have been, you know, hindsight being 2020. Mm -hmm. What are things that you would have liked to know about your research now, um, back then before you even came into graduate school, um, whether it be topical, whether it be research, whether it be the environment, I'm just curious. So for me, I guess one thing that'll be kind of interesting. So I went to undergrad at Baylor University. And I said it's an undergrad institution. So we actually have undergrads here at UT Southwestern. It's a medical center. So there are no undergrads. So one thing I kind of would look back and was like, do I want to be in an environment where there's no TA? For me personally, um, as I've been doing my work, I feel like I made the right decision of not having any undergrads because uh, what's cool about where my school is in Dallas there's like UTD and UT Arlington and SMU. These are all institutions that do have undergrads. So if I actually wanted to reach out and do mentorship that way, which I have been able to do, they're, they're available to be there. Um, as far as my research goes, one thing that kind of I didn't really know coming in is how different the chemistry is for lipids as compared to like normal total synthesis. So you look at total synthesis. When I was at Baylor, I was doing 20, 30 step synthesis. And what was hard about that was actually trying to get reactions to work. Once you got the reaction to work, purification was normally pretty straightforward. The yield might be horrible, but you got your product and that's okay. Uh, when I came to start doing my uh, more polymer and lipid type chemistry, I found that the reactions were fairly straightforward. I'm doing maybe five steps of synthesis. However, purification 
is where it gets you. I've had to come up with, at this point, I don't know, maybe 20 different types of LUN systems to get off one thing. Had to mess around with our combi flash purification system, adding different things to solvents. So that's been fun. And then on top of all of that, my yield is horrible, but it's okay. As I've had to, I've had to get used to getting 10% yields. It's actually kind of standard in the field. And organic synthesis, I'm used to like if it's not 80%, you messed up. This it's if I get 80% what I'm doing now, I question if I did it correctly. It's one of those kinds of things. But uh yeah, those are yeah, those are things looking hindsight, just like okay, preparing myself for that. <laughs> Yeah. That makes that makes complete sense. That makes complete sense. And you don't know the size, shape of your lipids too. So yes. at least from, from my experience, my ignorant experience of it. Um let's let's end on a, a positive note. Uh if you were looking at yourself, you know, 10 years ago, what wisdom would you impart to the young Josh um then that you wish someone actually imparted? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, I think going back, what, 10 years, that would put me starting high school. Oh, yeah, that's, oh, that's a good time. Um, I would say really keep striving at what you're doing and keep doing the best that you can. Um, another big thing was, like, don't compare what you're doing to other people. I've seen kind of down the line as I've gone through undergrad and things like that, a lot of my friends from high school that maybe were really good in science actually chose to go a completely different path to maybe do business or something like that. So this whole time I'm trying to compare myself to them. They're not even in science anymore, which is fine. We have no big deal there, but like it would have saved a lot more stress. It's like, Hey, just do the best that you can. You're going to do the science that you're going to do. Actually, I'm not sure I want to tell, my, tell myself I want to do science in the future. Probably just leave it and do the best that you can. And you'll find what you like really like to do as you keep going. I love that. I really, really love that. Because it doesn't matter then what you decide to do. You're always doing the best that you can. Um, and with that, um, I want to thank Josh for not only his time, but also telling his story um, and imparting some, some wisdom onto our listeners today. And that is uh, it for the episode today. And always be asking yourself, where does your journey stem from? Thanks, everyone.